Welcome to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Our mission is to bring you discussions on a wide array of topics in the coaching world to grow players on and off the court. You can connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, and also reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Now, here's your host, Coach Mike Hernandez. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, your support is appreciated. Whatever platform you're listening to us on, wherever in the world you are listening to us from, greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much for checking out this episode. Uh, Today is an episode that was requested by a few people. We're going to talk about help side defense and making weak side defenders strong, capable, and ready to help when needed. We'll also get into our guests' no-middle defense and talk about it from a philosophical as well as a schematic standpoint. So if you like defense, this should be the episode for you. There's going to be some good stuff in here. I am sure of it. So joining me today is the men's basketball coach and athletic director and teacher at Living Water Christian School. Mm -hmm. I'm very happy to be joined today by Coach Trevor Harden. Coach, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So, Coach, let's go ahead and get into your coaching and your basketball journey. Where has the game taken you, and what are the steps along the way that's gotten you to Living Water? Uh, where the game's taken me? Um, uh, location-wise, we, we kind of almost travel uh, all over the United States. Almost that's our goal. We go all over the place to play basketball. Um, I really just I started out training a kid, um, a kid that just needed a little bit of help. And then he ended up attending Living Water um, and then turned around. His dad is the owner of the school. And uh, that's kind of how it flourished. He was like, hey, do you want to coach our basketball team? I worked with him for a year. Um, I was like, sure. Uh, And then that was five years ago. And then it just kept on snowballing. That's crazy how opportunities like that go you just think you're doing one thing and then all of a sudden (laughs) all these other doors open up and next thing you know you have all these other uh responsibilities and all these new opportunities that open up for you i think i think that that's pretty great and uh as i mentioned the outset you are uh pretty much the man i think at at living water you you do it all with uh, uh being a coach and an athletic director so i wanted to ask before we get started about kind of the the balance between both like how do you kind of manage uh, when you have to put your coaching hat on versus your athletic director hat on, how does that kind of work out? Um, this year has obviously been a lot more difficult uh, because of COVID and rescheduling games and, and things like that. Like I felt uh, during basketball season, I rescheduled 32 different times, you know, not 32 wow. different games, but like, hey, we have to move this game to this time because, uh, you know, our girls are in quarantine, but our guys aren't. And then the other schools in quarantine, it, literally around 32 times I rescheduled just in basketball season. Um, so thankfully the school does a really good job of giving me a planning period. Um, and you know, I, I teach PE and, um, I'm like, Hey, I, I need this, I need this coverage here because I have a volleyball game to reschedule and a soccer game to reschedule. And I have no idea how we're getting there because, uh, vans are rented out and there's nothing we can get for COVID and things like that. So it's not, um, traditionally it's obviously not like that, that difficult, but, um, thankfully I do have a good support system with the school that makes it a lot easier. Yeah, that's always a benefit to have uh, the support system that, that's willing to uh, help you out and be flexible because, yeah, I feel like especially over this past year, you definitely had uh, 
a lot of unique challenges for sure that uh, just are on top of already what goes involved in being an athletic director, let alone trying to manage everything that was uh, this past season. And Absolutely. really quickly, also, before we get into this topic, I just wanted to ask about by being an athletic director, you have the opportunity to, to work with um, different coaches and, and different sports and kind of see things uh, at, from a different lens than, you know, somebody like myself who just coaches basketball. So right. I wanted to ask, what have you kind of gained from working with other coaches and kind of working with other sports and seeing other sports that's kind of helped you with the uh, basketball coaching side of things? That's a that's a great question. Um, I was just thinking about that the other day because I'm I know a lot of sports. I know how to play soccer. I know how to play volleyball, but I don't know the game. Um, and we we have men's volleyball and we have uh, you know women's soccer and stuff like that. And just talking to the coaches about you know how they run you know how they run a practice because obviously the way I run basketball practice is going to be different than the way a men's volleyball team warms up, you know, for basketball, mm -hmm. I mean, uh, for, for a volleyball match. So asking like, Hey, what does your pre-practice look like? Um, what's your practice look like in, in your game day stuff? So um, talking to them and picking their brain kind of opens up different things. Like, Hey, maybe I can try this with the basketball guys. If it's working, you know, if it's working for the volleyball guys, maybe, maybe something that the, uh, something might spark my interest or something like that. Yeah. I, it's interesting just to see, I think the different ways that like, it's like all the ways you can like skin a cat or whatever that idiom is where all the different ways yeah. you can kind of go about like your practice. And I know that's something that I personally would like to do more is just kind of see other coaches like run their practices, especially from different sports at my school. I think that at least for me, sometimes I get like so into my own sport that like, I know there's so much I can learn from all the other great coaches I have at my school and around that, you know, I think having that opportunity would be super beneficial. So no, that's, that's great. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as I mentioned, we're going to be talking a little bit about um, help, help side defense and uh, weak side defenders. So to kind of set the, the stage for that coach, let's, let's start with your kind of your defense and your defensive principles and, and the importance of, of help side defense and what you're trying to run on the court. Um, so for us, I, I kind of adapted the, the Chris Beard, Texas Tech, no middle stuff and, and Baylor's, you know, no middle. And I kind of tweaked it to what our guys can do. Cause I don't have any, you know, I don't have any division one guys. We've had a, a guy go division two and a couple D three guys. So, um, and they're all guards. We don't have any really post players, per se. So I, all I have is guards. So I need something, some guys that have some speed and, and can move around. And, um, you know, just watching. I'm trying to figure out why Texas Tech, you know, come out of nowhere when Chris Beard gets there, why are they so good? And what and what got them, you know, to the championship and, and things like that. And uh, so I just started looking at it and studying it. And, uh, man, just do not. I just do not allow the middle. I don't know. I don't know how to, I feel like day one when I'm, I'm teaching some new kids this and they, and they don't understand when I say do not give up the middle, it, it takes time to get, um, that's literally the, the number one rule is don't give up the middle. And it's not as easy. I don't know if, if you've ever seen it run or have a team, you know, buy into it. It's not an easy thing to do, but when no. they do it, it's beautiful. Um, I have a clip on Twitter I'll send to you. I think we played defense for like a minute straight. It was it was great. We drew a charge, and that was like the the best example of no middle. Oh yeah, I mean we, it was actually in the state championship that we lost, but uh, it was still a great defensive uh, defensive clip. Um, 
So yeah, no. I'm, I'm, I want to ask then, uh, just kind of piggyback off of something that you said. Um, just just in in your experience, when when you have new kids that that you're trying to like integrate with with that, like hey, like no middle. What part about it do you think is is either like takes the longest to like connect with them, or is there like a certain hangup that you feel like they're just that, just, that isn't quite clicking at them for for them not ki- kind of getting it? Absolutely, um, closing out. So whenever we, you know, everyone, most people know what a closeout is that are probably listening. And if you don't, just you know, look it up. But closing out, the biggest problem I have with that is they close out the wrong way. They allow the middle because they've been taught probably since basketball to close out and enforce everything to the middle um so when they you know when they get out of you know fifth grade or sixth grade and i start working with the jvs to get them to to groom them to no middle or say they transfer in from another school they're used to closing out or they're not even used to closing out at all which is the biggest problem um forcing them to the middle but forcing them to the baseline but once they get it it makes their lives so much easier and it makes the team's lives so much easier because we know where the ball's going next if we get a good closeout we know that we're forcing them to the baseline and we know the help side is down there already waiting to take a charge or going straight up. And once we have them in the corner, you know, it's, it's kind of game over. A high school kid's going to make a mistake, you know, 80% of the time, if he's driving down with two guys on him, he's going to throw, throw up a miracle. Um, <laughs> and um, he, he's either going to hit the side of the backboard, he's going to throw it away and we got a fast break layup. But getting, uh, getting the guys to get used to closing out and forcing to the uh to that you know to the baseline things like that that's probably the hardest thing so let's let's add on a a little bit to that for for coaches listening who maybe are trying to uh you know have that same philosophy that no middle philosophy and they're working with their kids on their on their closeouts and they're just like oh man like they're just like there's not getting it we're still giving up middle they're not closing out properly when you have to do that refinement or you have to like really drill it in about how to fix those closeouts what are some things that you're that you're working on if your players to make sure that they're they're closing out the the right way that you want it so we have a drill we call it a five chair closeout put five chairs around the perimeter and we and we uh we run at them we chop when we close out and we backpedal, then the next person goes. And we got five guys closing out um, on chairs the way they're supposed to. And I'm sitting there watching them, you know, and, and, and getting on them if they can't close out the right way. And then, you know, in the summertime, it's not as big of a deal, especially if they're new, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and they're learning or they're young and they're learning. It's not a big deal. But by the time November, October, November gets around, if you still can't figure it out, the bench will teach you how to close out because you won't get the play. <laughs> Um, that it, it just does so many, just so many wonders for you. If you, if they can't figure it out, it's because they're not focused or, or maybe I'm not doing a good or good enough job coaching them, but the bench really opens up their eyes. Like, man, I got to close out if I want to play. Yeah. And it sounds like, and, and I'll let you, um, uh, elaborate on that, but it sounds like, you know, that this sort of the defensive side and, and specifically the, the defensive principles that, that you believe in, those are like as non-negotiable as they get. And if like, that seems like to me, like something you're going to definitely hang your hat on where, you know, if you're not getting it, like there, there isn't going to be a space for you on the floor because you're not, you're, you're not getting it. And, and that just kind of is what it is sort of thing. Yeah. Without a doubt. I mean, uh, I, I probably, should be more lenient here and there because I've put my, you know, leading scorer on the bench a couple of times, probably because he's tired from scoring, you know, 20, 30 points or whatever. <laughs> and he's too, too tired to close out properly. So I'll just sit him down. I mean, just, it's, it's pretty much a non-negotiable. The bench, I'm telling you, the bench will do wonders. It might, I'm not saying bench him for eight minutes. I'm saying, Hey, 
talk to them, say, hey, this is what you did wrong. Send them out. Send about, you know, two years ago I had seven seniors. Last year I had six. So it, it wasn't – guys were biting to get in the game. So you, one mistake, I could pull you right out. You know, it was, it was no issue. I didn't have any drop-off, you know, two years ago. Um, now we're so young, I – we give up the middle every two seconds, it seems like. <laughs> and, I'm, I'm, you know, it's it just we're young. I don't have one senior this year, and the rest are ninth and 10th graders and one 11th grader, so um, – and, and five new guys. So it's really we've, – we've only been together about 12 practices, and it's hard to get it all – get everything I want done in 12 practices. That, that's including offense. So, But mm-hmm. we, we'll spend 45 minutes on a, um, on a drill or two. Well, yeah, yeah, I I think that, you know, if you have limited time and and you have limited amount of practices, which I feel like all all coaches talk about how how little practice time that they they have available to them, I think you have to kind of stick to what is most important to me, like what is the the thing I'm going to make sure that, you know, our team can do and you know, if that's something on the defensive end, then, you know, then that's what you're going <laughs> to spend that time yeah. on and then kind of work, work on it from there. And then to the other point that you mentioned, I think that it probably helps your team uh, in terms of like chemistry and buy-in when they see that like, oh, if the, you know, the best player undisputedly on this team is, is getting on the bench for something they're not doing defensively, well, right. what excuse is there for, for anybody else if I know that he, he can get benched for it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, just to, to backtrack a little bit about, about the philosophy that you have about uh, the, the no middle, what over the years of, of coaching, has this always been something that, that you have adhered to um, or is that something you've kind of kind of adapted through experience? What, what kind of it solidified it in your mind that, all right, this is, this is how I want to be playing defense? So my first year, put it, uh, let me try to break it down. So we have 60 kids in high school, boys and girls total so we're a really small private school so I don't have a lot to pick through anyway mm-hmm. um you know our tryouts are we don't really have trials we already know who's been there all summer essentially um I mean we'll, we'll host a tryout but I mean I already know all the I know every kid by the name by their name in school um because I teach all of them in PE so I know all of them um so my first year we were very thin like we only had one team it was it was a mixture of JV and varsity boys and we couldn't do anything except run a 2-3 defense. I mean, nothing. I tried. We tried man-to-man, but it was just—it was literally impossible. And I, and I did everything I could, but we just sat in a 2-3 zone. And I'm like, I've got to find a way to teach these kids help defense. Like, I just have mm-hmm. to. You know, I would not I'd be doing them injustice if I didn't. Um, and then the next year, uh, I had uh, two guys transfer in, and they were they, they played basketball before. And. Um, they got the concept of help defense because they played their whole lives. So, you know, working with those two guys and those two guys actually helping the um, the younger guys explain help defense and, and, and things like that. And me doing, you know, getting coached up more by other coaches really helped too. You know, n- never stopped learning essentially how to help them. Yeah. And it's always nice when you have players that that come in who who really like un- pick up the game right away and kind of know the game Absolutely. and kind of kind of work with them right away like oh okay like uh, and sometimes it, it really helps you uh for your own confidence as a coach too and like oh i got a couple guys here now okay we can really get after it and start doing these things and, and really kind of applying it from there so uh yeah sometimes it is just sort of you know trial and error a little bit too seeing what works what can't work and then you get a couple people Absolutely. come in and it's like all right now we're off and rolling so yep <laughs> 
so we know that one of the biggest things when you when you want a team that has you know strong help side defense and and coming over from the weak side and everything is communication. Your team's got to really mm -hmm. be you know five acting as one there on the court. So I, this is gonna be very very vague and very general. So I'm gonna I'm just gonna kind of throw it to you and let you handle this boulder here of yeah. teaching communication and and how to kind of get five to work as one. That's um. So we in practice we run five on four so i make four work as one um which is very it, it sounds crazy but you know i got five guys on the perimeter on offense and their job is to pass and cut and, and they're trying to score and i got four guys on um the two blocks and two elbows and their job is to talk when their cutter goes through say i'm here when they're there and and when they're in help they're in help and you'd be surprised um, and whenever the group's not loud enough when they have to run, how, how quickly they'll amp up their talking and things like that. Um, and, you know, five on four obviously isn't fair, but whenever we get beat on offense, we're scrambling four on five anyway, five on four. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. that drill is, is mainly for talking. That way I can get two people talking on a switch. I can get that way we know, you know, two people aren't running out of the shooter. We got one person running out of the shooter closing out the right way. You know, if, if one of them is running to close out, I got someone in help and they'll, they'll, they'll scream help. And if they're not, they'll go to the baseline. They'll figure it out. That group will figure it out and bring the next group in. Um, so, again, almost like the bench, the baseline kind of kind of makes you grow up fast, too, and makes you want to stop being over there. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, just and, – and it's not like I said running kids into the ground, but it's just annoying having to, you know, run a 30-second sprint really quick. Um but, uh, no, I mean, I think that – and a lot of it, man, when they start buying in, you don't have to ask them to talk anymore because they, they just do it. They do it because their brother's doing it, and they don't want to let them down. So getting them to buy in to playing defense for each other is really the hardest part. Teaching is probably the easier part to make them talk. Yeah. But getting to buy in is the hardest part. Yeah, I, I think the, the act of, you know, communicating, here's what you need to say – uh, that takes, you know, me to take two seconds for me to tell you to, to here's what yeah. you need to say. But I think the buy-in is when it actually is like sticks and it is done repeatedly. And then, like you said, when you no longer have to even be present or to remind them or anything, and then it happens, then that's like, okay, now I know that it's solidified. Like, okay, <laughs> yeah, we, we got absolutely. it. Um, I, I think that one of the hangups that that some that some coaches have and and i i've kind of been there too a couple times about communication is making sure that what they're saying is is actually meaningful and relevant and helpful as opposed to just talking for the sake of talking but not really right. communicating anything so when you're kind of teaching or when you did teach uh communication and they bought into it what were like the important things like, Hey, this, this is what you need to be communicating here. Here's the actual words or phrases that need to be said that helps your teammates out on the court. So, um, our, our big, our bigs, all you say is I'm in help and I'm in help means I'm at the low post. I'm ready to take a charge. Once you send them my way, which means we have them in the corner. I'm in help bring them right, bring them right down to take a charge or go straight up. Or we're going to trap you right there in a the little short corner in the dunker spot. Um, and especially for my guys, uh, we don't we switch everything, and so we don't even have to say it anymore. But whenever I'm teaching it, we we'll either say yeah or no or switch, switch, switch. If we're if we're really scrambling in big trouble, we'll just say it. And then eventually, by October, November, 
we don't have to say it anymore. We see a screen, we'll just call it a screen like we do, like you normally would, right, left, and jump it. So we jump switch everything to force everything away from the middle. So there's no opportunity for a pick and roll, um, especially at the top of the key. If they're trying to do a little pick and roll at the top of the key, it's it's going to be a steal, like you know, 90% of the time because our guys are so far in help defense in the paint that they try to throw something over the top or anything like that is getting picked off. Mm. You mentioned uh, about, you know, your bigs in particular being ready, being ready to take a charge. And I know a lot of coaches have different philosophies and viewpoints on, on charges and, and not just teaching charges, but when they want their players to take charges, if they do want them at all, if they trust their players to take charges. So what, what, what's mm-hmm. your kind of philosophy on, on uh, taking a good charge versus even like a selfish charge and where you kind of want that to fit in with your defense? If you don't want to take one, I got a spot for you. It's, it's front row seats. It's right next to me. It's right on the bench. Because if you don't take one, we've literally done everything right. We've, we've forced you out of the middle. We forced you to the baseline. We're bringing you down to the help. And you're going to high school, a high school referee is going to call a charge with that pressure on him. If it looks like it's about to be one, he's going to call it. And if he doesn't, I'm going to let him know it's a bad call. Very, very calm. Just like, hey, you missed that one. Don't miss the next one. Um, you know, we, we've taken eight charges in a game before. So that's, that's something. <laughs> it, it's, it's, buy, it's literally just buying in. And there's another, uh, I'll send it to you after the, after this, um, this interview is another thing, a clip on Twitter is a guy taking a charge, a, a senior, he took literally like four in one game before, just stands there and just, it doesn't feel good. I have to, I have to remind these guys, it does hurt, but, the, the good thing is you get a charge card. I give you one at practice the next day. You don't have to do the mandatory little conditioning we got. So that's a little motivation in itself is, hey, you got a charge card. Don't worry about these, you know, five suicides we have to do. You're, you're free to free to relax, get you some water, some Gatorade, and hang out. Yeah, uh, it's, that's a good little incentive there. I think that, that that'll, that'll give, give them something to uh, to work towards for sure. And, and as you mentioned, you know, charges – I just heard, especially uh, particularly at the at the boys' end, you get some some big guys there who are who are going to be barreling into you and 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 really uh, getting after it. So, it just in, does in so practice, much like is it. there a way to, to to simulate that? Is there a way that you like the the charge drills? I, I I'm I'm curious about what 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 that kind of looks like in terms of getting charges, or is it like here's the position you're in and this is what's going to happen and you're going to just get plowed well, over and it's what it is. <laughs> Beginning of the year, me and my assistant coach will break out the, uh, you know, little football hit pads, and we'll just we'll just start by doing that, getting them used to contact because a lot of the guys are afraid of contact, regardless of what they say or how they act. They're they're timid of contact, and some of them are just uh, bulldozers and want contact. Um, so you got to get everyone on the same page of you know and how to take a charge, and 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 where to be, and, and positioning is the most important thing. Um, but kids will take a charge if they're bought into it. If they're going to take a charge for their teammates because their teammates are going to hear, hey, why didn't you take that charge right there? We had them right where we wanted them. Um, but so it's along another lines of buying in, you know, not getting up the middle, taking a charge when there's an opportunity, things like that. Uh, it, it puts a lot of pressure on a high school ref to not make the right call, which sometimes is the wrong call, but you still get it because they, they feel like they have to make the, the charge call. Yeah, I, I think that that's an interesting point. There's two things that you brought up with it. I think once once you have a team that's willing to take charges, that's like when you really know, like that's when the buy-in's there. Like, all right, we're taking mm-hmm. charges and everything. Like I know that we're committed to what we need to do on the defensive end. And then two, the, the other point that you, you brought up, you brought up a couple of times is about 
it like kind of putting the pressure on on refs in particular to to kind of like make that call and and i think charges just the act of like a player who's willing to sacrifice himself and take that charge mm-hmm. even if they aren't maybe necessarily completely set the fact that you know they're getting plowed over when they look like they're pretty much set like i feel like in you're you're gonna kind of get that call. You're you're gonna get it. <laughs> or really, our whole entire bench will jump teams. up. Mm-hmm. Our whole entire bench will jump up and scream charge right in the ref's you know <laughs> ear. So it, that, telling you, just you put a little pressure on the ref and and he'll make the right call. He might miss the first one, but you're definitely gonna get the second one. And yeah. taking a charge, I mean, you you take a charge on the best slasher that the other team has. It it makes them second guess going in there like that. Um. Mm-hmm. And say you get another one, I mean, he's just going to pull up for jumpers all night long, which is great. That's what I want. I want you guys to shoot these terrible shots. Um, but it, it makes everyone second guess when they drive to the paint, knowing we got someone there waiting to take a charge. Yeah. No, yeah, for sure. And and I think that if you – especially if you had those players, like you said, those like slashers or guys who are always attacking the rim and, and maybe they mm-hmm. never have charges called against them, but then they get that right. first charge called against them. You know, I think even for me as a player in high school, I'd probably like think twice or at least at least think a little bit more like, wait a minute, I just got a charge called against me. And Yeah, you, you know, it makes you second guess things. Yeah, and, and that could be psychologically a, a huge advantage for sure. Um, so – I know that we're, we're kind of bringing up about, you know, weak side and, and, and the help side defense and, and what's expected of there. But, but obviously there are principles that you want to have as a coach to uh, when you're just playing like playing man defense on somebody. And, and we talked a little bit about your, your idea of like forcing baseline and, and, and that's mm-hmm. what you're trying to get at. But what other principles when you have uh, kind of a man on man defensive situation are, are, are you telling your, your guys to follow? Um, I mean, we're jump, we're jump switching any screens. Um, that, that's a non-negotiable. Any ball screen, we're jump switching. It doesn't matter, you know, because I have all guards, so it doesn't make a difference if the guy's six foot eight. You're gonna have to guard him, you know, and that's just, yeah. and you're gonna force him out of the paint. You're gonna fight him. You're gonna push him out until you get a foul call. Um, but yeah, ball screens are non-negotiable. Jump switch, and, and all you do is jump them and force them, you know, the way we want them to go, and and. We figure out what hand the ball handler is, if he's right-handed or left-handed. And, I, and you'll know, because I'll tell you before the game, hey, number 12 is left-handed, force him right. We're always going to force the opposite hand regardless. Um, and that's something even sometimes I forget. Like, oh, wait, I mean, you know, second quarter, I'm like, hey, why am I not forcing? Why am I not telling these guys to force number 12 to his left because he's right-handed or whatever the case may be? Because um, normally we'll, whatever side they bring the ball up the court, we'll just keep them there. But um, – that's another thing we do. And and if there's any like, you know, flex motion where there's off ball screens and stuff like that, depending on how good of a screen team they are, we might switch or we might we might fight through. But um, typically we always fight under any kind of screen to protect the basket first because it's not like kids are shooting their lights out on us um, a lot, it seems like. But we fight under any ball screen or any uh, fight under any uh, off ball screen. And when when you talk about the talk about that about fighting under like any off ball screen, um, you and and I'll I'll let you correct me if I'm wrong. You said that's something that that's kind of like the the majority majority of the time, and uh, unless like it's rare real rare circumstances in which you have a shooter. Yeah, so I mean, a lot of the teams we know, we all you know we always leave our man to help. But if I, I know a team we play uh, in New Life in Fayetteville. They just shoot so many three pointers. They can hit so many three pointers. So we'll we'll fake the help and run back out to our man um, with you know with help with help defense on the drive. 
And if there's any uh, off-ball screens, we'll go over the top of those if we know they can shoot. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'll, you're going to have to hit two threes to make me, you know, prove to me that you're going to be hitting them all night. So we'll still go underneath and, you know, then close out whatever we got to do. Because you go underneath, you still circle through paint, and you can still keep them on uh, out of the middle. Well, that's a good point that, that you bring up is, is, you know, sticking true to, to what you believe in and, and sticking true to the principles that you believe in. And that I'm sure you could speak about this, that you've probably had circumstances where, where you went under, you know, an off ball screen and then a player mm-hmm. made a shot and you're like, all right, well, they made a shot, but then you still stuck to what you were doing. And I don't know, yeah. maybe they went one for 10 after. I, I don't know. I'm exactly, sure you can speak yeah. to it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it's, there's something to be said about not just blowing everything up after uh, <laughs> one sequence, <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> Absolutely. And, and that's Absolutely. what watching film is. And that's what, you know, what, what, what knowing all that sort of thing um, about who's, who's on the court and what they're capable of for sure. Um, something I think is really interesting in the fact that, and I don't really know exactly what your schedule is, but I'm going to assume, and you can correct me, that you're playing some of these teams a couple times a year, and there's teams that you've played kind of year in and year out who understand what your principles are and what you're about on defense. And so I, I'm curious, because you talked a little bit about the jump switching on the on-ball screens and, and things like that. Do you still have teams that are still trying to, I guess, like impose like a certain style of offense on you, even though you know exactly what they're doing and how to help off of it? Do, is there any sort of chess match going on of some of these teams that you're seeing like in and out are they or are they still kind of sticking to, to certain things I guess to elaborate to that is is what are other teams if they've tried to make adjustments really trying to do to combat just how strong you guys are on your help side defense um man honestly the the conference we're in we've we've all but dominated the past like three years because we're the only team that plays man-to-man everyone else sits in a two-three zone um so I feel like, you know, they practice a 2-3 zone at their practice. They don't even practice man-to-man. So they don't even get the man-to-man pressure that they get in their face when we play them. Um, so honestly, I don't, you know, I don't know. I, that's a great that's a great question because oh, it doesn't I, seem like well, you know, I, i'm gonna i'm like gonna follow it. up with that before i forget just yeah. just i mean i know you can't get get in everyone's head but is there is there why, why do you think that is do you think it's just because man-to-man's harder to teach and two-three zone is just easier to kind of sit in like what why do you think you're you're like the man-to-man <laughs> team per se My, i mean mine's a pride issue i really hate zone defense because i feel like um, you know, my team's gonna be better than your team just because i've coached them so i'm gonna make you i'm gonna make my team play man-to-man but um, this past weekend, we're real, we're real youngs, and I had to drop into a one-three-one because I didn't have a choice. We were getting, you know, just bullied man-to-man because uh, we're young and we haven't practiced enough. No middle defense, so I even had to retreat back to the zone defense and just say, just take a breather. Um, but I, I know that the couple teams that we play that are high-level teams, you know, four. We play some four-A schools. We play mm-hmm. some, you know, that twenty-three hundred kids in their school, and we got sixty that were just outmatched. Yeah. They're just they're just better. I mean, well, and, and we, yeah, they're just better. You know, their next five that come on, you know, might be better than my first five. Um, but still, playing them man to man is just so it it just I don't know. It's just so much better because if you sit there and, and just sit in that zone, they're just gonna light you up. Um, yeah, but no, that that's a that's a really that's a really great question that you ask. And so then I, I know that we were focusing on, 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 def- on defensive then. Then for somebody who prides themselves as much on defense as you did, you, you called it a pride thing just now, then I, 
I imagine then when you're thinking about things on the offensive end, you can probably identify things like whether it's a man or it seems to be a lot of the cases, two, three, that you're able to just kind of like pick apart right away. So I guess now thinking kind of reverse engineering this a little bit, when you're on the offensive end of end of the ball, what are some things that you're looking to just like test out right away on their defense to see if it's, you know, anywhere on, you know, the level of what you're trying to do on the defensive end? I know it's not exactly apples and oranges because you play a lot of zone and you do man, but I'm just curious what you're like, yeah. all right, I'm going to go right after this and see if it's up to snuff. Uh, like, so if they're in a zone? Uh, yeah, we can, go, we can go zone. No, no, I mean, it, it's fine. Or I mean, man, we can do both. Why not? <laughs> okay, no. So, I mean, I guess literally anything. So, my guys know the first shot that they're open, if they don't shoot it, I got a spot for them on the bench. Because you have to shoot when you're wide open. There's, I mean, there's no if, – if, if it's one pass and there's a guy on you and you shoot it, that means there's a guy in your face, not a good shot. But if you, if you pass the ball and there's no one three or four feet near you, shoot the ball. That's the only way you're going to score is if we shoot. And if you're wide open, you can't hit a wide open shot. Well, you need to get in the gym. And, and get and, and work on your game, but literally, we'll, you know, um, we run we run a, a read react, um, and uh, it's 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 very simple basketball, but it's a hard concept because when they when they don't think they're just playing basketball, they don't even realize they're just playing basketball. When they start thinking about these principles I give them, then they're like, I don't know what to do next. I'm like, Yes, you do. You know what mm -hmm. to do. Um, so the first wide open shot we get, the first good look we get, they're going to shoot it. And I want them to shoot it because I want to see what the defense is going to do. I'm not going to sit there and hold the ball for 30 seconds and, and not get a shot off or, or risk turning the ball over. The first open shot or open layup we get, we're, we're attacking the basket. Um, and then I can see what the defense is going to do from there. It's like, hey, they're just playing like a days goal. Or if they're in a zone, they're not even coming outside the three-point line. Or if they're a pack line team where they never leave, you know, it seems like the three-point line is hard to get anything going. Um but yeah, no, that first first couple of open shots will really tell you what kind of defense they're in, you know, or they have well, as soon as we shoot the ball, they got someone leaking out to get an easy layup. Then, you know, then we got to make adjustments from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I really like this reoccurring theme that you've brought up about, like, if you don't do this, here's this seat for you. That, that Yeah, you here's the seat. Just, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, there, there's no better, I, I guess, teacher than that, is there? Like, this is, no. here's the natural consequence for what you didn't do. You don't have to say anything at that point, really. It's like, here you go. No, I mean, it, you know, I, ha I have a new kid um, that, that transferred to me this year, and he can shoot really well. And, and this weekend, he didn't want to shoot because he didn't want to feel like he was, you know, coming in and being the new guy, taking all these shots. And I sat him down. I'm like, hey, you can either shoot when you're open or you can sit right here. I don't really care. So gave him, you know, Gave him a three minute breather, went back in and hit three threes in a row. So that in that instance, it worked great. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I remember uh, overhearing a conversation once where uh, I forgot who it was that said he's like, if, if you're out in the court and you're not going to shoot, you can just go ahead and not shoot on the bench. It's the same thing yeah. at that point. If score, you're not shooting the score ball, the right? same points. Yeah, <laughs> as many points as a dead man, zero. Yeah, not, yeah. If you don't even shoot, you're not going to score. Same amount of shot attempts. No, that's funny for sure. So well, we know that help side defense is a uh, it's, it's a team effort. Obviously, individual skills and individual things need to to be worked on. Whether it's you know during summer work or one on one workouts or just just during practice, in order for those pieces to kind of come together as a whole. I know we touched on it a little bit, but when you're thinking about things, maybe in a in a practice setting or just when you have like the gym open, um, mm -hmm. what are some individual skills that 
players need to work on and coaches need to make sure they're working on for their players, for, for their individual defense to, to be where it needs to be? Um, so every single day at practice um, and, and another part is having the doors open. This is like a little side note, having the door open for the kids to come in, you know, during the summer, four days a week, I have the gym open and, you know, we take, you know, maybe two months off during the whole year, but other than that, the gym is open and, and we're shooting and we're getting shots up and, and, and we're working on our game. So that's a big part of it. It's just allowing them to be in the gym. Um, it, it sucks that not every city and every team and every organization is like that. You know, they're in yeah. the gym only during basketball season. Um, but to circle back, you know, every day we do a lot, we do the ladder drill. We look like a football team before every game and, and before every, you know, practice we're working on our footwork every single day, those, you know, fast twitch muscles, um, you know, so we can push off and, and, and be in help and, and do defensive slides. And we do defensive slides every day and I know they hate it and I hate watching them do it because it's miserable, but it works, you know, get the hip flexors opened up, make sure, you know, they have active hands, stuff that they just do every single day. They just start developing and start doing it in the game you, you know, and in practice. They don't even realize it. But footwork, I feel it is very important. And, uh, and we have a really, really small weight room, but it's really nice. And uh, our, our guys are lifting during the year and the offseason. And, and uh, the weight room is very important as well um, with that little bit of strength and, and that they need, essentially, that lower body. And when you uh, talk about footwork, are there things in particular? And I know I've seen about like the ways that, you know, the, the old foot fire drills and like the way that the feet are positioned and, and you know, the, the step and slides and things of that nature, specifically for uh, the footwork. Are there, I guess there's two parts to this, like specifically, what are you looking for out of their, their footwork? And then um, and I know you mentioned about the defensive slides. Is, is that really mm -hmm. the, the big component that, that kind of gets the footwork where you want it to be? Um, I believe in the ladder and, and closing out being, and being under control. I mean, I have, yeah, I have a ninth, a, a ninth grader who is literally, he's, he's eighth grader going to ninth grade. He's probably the fastest kid I've probably ever seen in my life, but can is always out of control. So he'll close out and blow right past somebody. So it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't make a difference. Like closing out, you know, being in, in, in the gaps, being where you're supposed to be on time. You don't have to be the fastest person. And I have plenty of people who aren't very fast that never never leave the floor because they're always where they're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. um, you know, once you, once you figure out exactly what I want or, you, or you're, you're struggling to figure it out, but you're super athletic in your right spot, well, you're going to play too. Um, but if, if you're already fast and, and you can figure it all out, well, then you're, you're probably never leaving the floor unless there's a timeout. Yeah. No, I, I can picture it now that the kid is just flying by people on the yeah, clothes. No, I mean, he's jump out of the gym. Fast. Yeah, yep, he can too. He can, he's a little guy and he can touch the rim and, and it's just unbelievable. Once he, once it clicks for him and he figures it out, he's going to be hard to stop. Just, just get a little bit more discipline, a little bit more yep. control to harness it. But I, right. it's the beauty about, uh, you know, freshmen, right? They become sophomores and become juniors. Yes. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. So, I know that in, in talking to a lot of a lot of coaches, when they go up against you know really strong uh, defensive teams, uh, particularly those in the half court, they're really looking to um, exploit things out, out in transition or looking to be as disruptive as possible. Basically, do anything they possibly can to avoid playing a strong defensive team um, in the half court. So, my question is, how do your um, principles of of the way that you play defense and the way that you play man-to-man 
how do you kind of get into that in a transition setting? I know you talked about how you go and, and you do a lot of five on four work. Is that, is, is that yeah. the main component? Are there other things that help you get from transition defense right to where you need to be? No, actually. And that's probably, that's probably our biggest um, downfall is transition defense. You know, my team two years ago, we went 29 and five. We were really, we were just a solid, that was just a really good basketball team mm -hmm. and they had no problems matching up in transition. Last year we struggled and this year we are horrendous at it right now, but that, it's also June mm -hmm. um, and we got time, but um, that's something that I'm going to have to, you know, get coached up on is how to, to rep transition defense other than, you know, saying run down the court match up, but um, I just have to do a better job of that. And I don't, in our defense, you know, I don't I'm trying to, I'm trying, just trying to think about the, you know, the team I have now, how, what, what, you know, you have me thinking right now, what I can do to help them, you know, figure out transition defense better. And, and, and that's just going to be on me to be a better coach and, and help them out more. So that's another good question for me. Yeah, yeah. I, know, I know that, you know, I've, I've seen everything, you know, from the, all right, whoever's the furthest back on offense, you better be back the first one down immediately, yeah. you know, protecting yeah. rim. You're at half court, who's who's at, who's back? And and people who try to, you know, pressure the ball right on, right on a rebound and try and try mm -hmm. and be disruptive that way. I know there's, there's so many different ways, but I, I guess – in a way, it's almost like a compliment to you that some of these teams probably who who are like really really well coached, like yeah, we, we don't want to play you know coach in, in their half court, so we got to try and yeah. make this game a track meet as as best we, we best we possibly can. Which then, um, out of curiosity, then since because of of how much pride you have in in your man to man and especially in, in the half court, um, do presses or anything like that? Do they come come into play? Are they a part of your defense? Do it as a different look? Not not really do them that much. What's your kind of philosophy on that? Yeah, we have a we have a couple of zone presses that we just drop into like a little three two zone um, every once in a while just to give a different look, just to you know just to make them think. You know, I'm trying to make a high school kid think as much as I can with the, when he's got the basketball in his hand to make a mistake. Mm -hmm. So you know, after timeout. We've been playing man-to-man, man-to-man. They, they, you know, maybe they call a timeout or come out of the quarter. We're going to 2-2-1 trap you or 1-3-1 trap you really quick just to see what we can do. We might stay in it for, you know, a series or two. Um, but, uh, I mean, the same rules still apply for all my uh, – even my zone, my 1-3-1 defense. We don't allow the middle either. Um, so, it once I'm telling you, once it clicks for them to not give up the middle and force baseline and be the help and be there, it, it works across the board for me. Um, you know, some coaches might not agree, but I coach the way I want to, and it's and it's been successful. You know, in our conference and our our level of play so far. So, um, I'm just going to keep doing what I think is best for our team. Mm, yeah, and 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 again, we kind of circled back to that in the beginning about like whatever your philosophy is, whatever you kind of believe in. You know, you got to you got to stick to that because that's yeah. that's your belief, that's who you are, that's your identity as a coach, right? So, Absolutely. can't can't stray too far away from that for sure. So if you were to talk to maybe a new coach or a younger coach who, you know, is either trying to improve on their weak side defense or, or, or their help side, um, or, you know, they're saying like, hey, like, you know, we're just getting crushed and, you know, our, our, our weak or help side defense just, just isn't where it needs to be. What would be like probably your biggest, like if you're struggling, this is probably what you need to look at first, like type of advice you would give to a coach who, who might be struggling in that area? Um, so what two things always 
you you know, if you listen to me coach a game, you hear me say, see, you know, in November, I have to say, see ball, see ball, see man. I have to say that, you know, because I have guys I can see the back of their head. So I know they can't see the ball if I can't see their eyes. Um, you know, see ball, see ball. Can you see the ball? I'll call them out by their name. Like, hey, Bo, can you see the ball? Because I know you can't, you know. <laughs> and I'm not, not embarrassing them, but it's like, I've, hey. I've I, said that, not... I think, word for word myself of different names. <laughs> so that's Yeah, it's bad. like, I, I know you can't, so let, let's fix that. Go be where you need to be. And, and every day we'll walk. I'll do a walkthrough almost of, hey, ball's here. Where are you supposed to be? Ball's here. Where are you supposed to be? Where's the help defense supposed to be? Should you have two feet in the paint or one, you know, one foot in the paint? Or you should, should you be on ball, you know? causing chaos and again you give them but so many chances until it's like hey i i don't know how many i have given you 150 chances you're and you're still not doing it what what am, what can i do to help you what don't you understand you know and, and i ask these kids a lot of questions and i i beg them i beg them to you know ask me questions and and just like today uh we had a walkthrough i made one of the kids one of my new kids come up and draw offensive plays on the board like hey walk us through you know this play walk us through this play draw it up for the whole for the whole team and i think that's a it it, it make it helps everyone learn because and, and it is it's like team bonding it's like you know they're laughing because you know funny things happen and um it just it, it's very helpful and i promise you you know if, if they forget it they won't forget it the next time they have to come up there and write it because they they remember um they remember being put on the spot and, and either producing or not producing so you know if, if every kid can write where they need to be in help defense, they know where to be in help defense. Um, and you just got to put – you just have to make make the kids trust you that you know what you're talking about, and then they'll do anything for you. They'll, run, they'll take, you know, eight charges in the game for you like we have before, and, and they'll leave their man to be in help defense because, you know, they trust in you enough because you said to be there. Um, I feel like that's another big part of it too, just building that trust with the players. Uh, yeah, and and what that makes me think of is is what you mentioned in the beginning about how you have you know these players who come into your program who you just kind of said like they don't really like get it right away like it takes them a while for it to click and and I'm sure for those players some of them that does take a lot of trust in you for them to almost like go away from what they like naturally think they should be doing to have uh -huh. to like give that up right and be like all right well this is what coach wants me to do. Like, as the, I, I feel this pull to do it this way, but I, I, I trust in, in you as a coach, I'm going to do it this way. And that, that's kind of when you're set almost at that point, like, all right, you're bought in, you trust me. Great. <laughs> now we can do what yeah. we need to do. Right. That's that's yeah. I mean, you gotta think if they've probably been taught sports, everything to the middle, cause that's where all the help is their whole entire lives. Mm -hmm. um, but now kids are, you know, the kids that are in the gym, what, do you, what are they doing all day? They're shooting three-pointers all day. So you send a guy to the middle, he drives and kick. Guess what? He's driving, kicking to a three-point shooter, you know, and that's going to hit everything. So I'm like, what can I do to take this away? What, you know, what what can I, what do I think that will work? So, you know, that's why, you know, forcing everything out of the middle, I think is great. Um, and uh, they've been taught since, you know, wreck basketball in eighth grade to force everything to the middle and and so it's hard to get them out of that but it, it they, they do get out of it it just takes time well you brought up something that i i think is a kind of a, a light bulb thing for me and maybe for others listening as well that you know if you have these players who come into your program as freshmen in high school who've always been taught you know 
you know, you can force middle, it's probably because, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, if some player tried to kick it out to somebody, you know, in sixth grade, there was no shooters out there. Yeah. So it didn't matter. Right. And so that's probably what they're used to, but obviously as we know, once you get to the high school level, they kick it out to a shooter. It's like, well, there's, there's three points. There's another three, another three. Right. And it's a kind kind of a complete shift uh, in in the way that it's played. And I, I actually had never really thought about it that way before, but, um, no, that kind of made a light bulb go off in my head too, that that's probably why they think that so much because it's probably yeah, I mean, worked for them to win games in seventh or eighth grade. Yeah. If we had, if we had a, a whiteboard and, and if we ever do get a chance to do a zoom call with a little whiteboard or something up there and, and we can draw, I can, I can draw it up where it kind of just makes so much sense where you send them down, you force them to the baseline. And if they drive and you kick out to the corner, well, now that's your guy. If, if your guy passed the ball, now that's your guy to go close out on him. And, and the help guy takes your guy. Mm-hmm. And, again, it, it takes a lot to, to rep, and it's stressful, and there's a lot of yelling and, 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 and practice. But once it starts working, it works. Um, yeah, it's a lot of front-loading, yeah. a lot of, a lot yes. of work at the beginning. But it's, yes. I, I think it's okay for practices to be a bit messy as, as, yeah. as long as uh, the, the, the pie comes out of the oven there during the game. Absolutely. <laughs> It'll be a little messy at first. Awesome. Uh, before, uh, before I forget, uh, just the role of – talk, you talked a little bit, you touched a little bit on, on, on trapping and, and where that kind of plays in and some opportunities for that to exist. What is your uh, philosophy uh, about looking for, for turnovers or looking for deflections or looking for steals? I know you talked a little bit about active hands and, and the importance mm-hmm. of that. So – is, is that, is there, I don't know if there's like a certain number, but is there certain things that are like, all right, these, this is our opportunities we need to take advantage of to try and get turnovers or what is your belief on that? Um, if, you know, we'll know who the good ball handler and a weak ball handler, uh, you know, going into the game, if it's a team we played before or, you know, just during warmups, you can just see a lot, you know, if they're losing, if they're losing the ball when they're dribbling up to do their layup, you know, during pregame, we're going to trap them like, Hey, number 20, he does not want the basketball. So as soon as we get him in the corner, the help man is going to rush out there and we're going to trap him instead of instead of being the help. You run out there and you trap him. Um, and we'll get a lot of – we'll get some good turnovers out of that. The, you know, the little bit of two two one, uh, we all we're trying to do is slow them down and make them make a bad decision. And, and we're not even, like, really running up and trapping really, really that hard. We're just running up and showing. And just that little bit of show is going to make a terrible pass over the top and get an easy deflection. Mm. Um, so, and, you know, we got two guys on the ball. We better not foul because we already have two people on the ball. So we're just going to have active hands in his face, you know, that kind of thing. Um, it's just just repping that. But I don't really have anything like, you know, in-game, uh, like goal set or anything like that to, to get deflections or steals. Um, but, no, that that's a good – we, we do that for assists. Like, you know, how many assists do we have going into halftime? It's like we have six. Like, okay, we're not really playing together. Let's amp it up. Let's get 15 by the third quarter. Um, but that's something I could look at. And for steals, like how many deflections, how many steals do we have? That's a good idea. Yeah, I, I, I like the I like the idea on the offensive offensive end. I, I assists, I think that, that's that's a really good one to, to kind of keep track of, especially and you know, make a mention of in halftime. I think once I tried to say something about steals or I charted it and let them know in a game, and then I found that they just started like gambling a lot oh, to yeah, try and get to a ball. certain number. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, uh oh, wait a minute. That wasn't yeah. quite the intention. I still wanted you to play discipline. So I don't know. I, I, but those are like seventh or eighth graders when that happens. So right. It might be different depending on who your team is in high school. But uh 
I remember I, I fell into that trap. So sometimes it is a balance <laughs> though, where you have certain numbers yeah. or benchmarks you want to get to, right? But then you don't want to get fixated on that. Be like, hey, we only have this amount. Why don't we have this? Right. That's what they focus on. So it's, it's all part of the balance. Absolutely. Um, I feel like every every guest that I have that, on that we talk about defense, I ask this question. And I'm going to ask it probably every single guest that I have, just because I'm always curious about people's perspectives, and that's on rebounding. Uh, I, I I've I've just hear so many different responses, and I like each of them about people's yeah. philosophy on like how do I teach rebounding? Uh, what's what do I do? They just go get the ball. Is there certain things that they need to make sure they do? So uh, it ties in right in with you know help side defense and and putting a body on somebody, rebounding and everything. So let me ask you about your I guess philosophy, your 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 view on on rebounding, technique yeah. on rebound, just just your thoughts in general about it. Um, rebounding is a heart issue, and it, it could be a heart problem, or it could be something that will help you. You have to have you know the heart and the want to and the will to rebound. I, it doesn't take uh, you know a rocket scientist to see somebody that's not being boxed out and run over there and put a body on them. It does. It doesn't take any. You know, my my number fifteenth guy on the bench can go box someone out. He can at least try. Um, if you don't want to rebound, you just don't, you're not for the team. That's just the way it is. And, and, and the eye in the sky doesn't lie. And you can literally just watch it on film. Guys just watch the ball go up and trying to leak out. Mm-hmm. And, and that just becomes a heart issue. And for us, the biggest problem is, you know, when we help the helper, that guy doesn't get boxed out just because it, you get kind of lost in the game. Like, Hey, sure. Who am I, who do I have now? One guy doesn't get boxed out. And typically it's a guy on the perimeter, thankfully. That doesn't get the, the rebound, but we still need to box him out. He still needs to be accounted for. I mean, you know, we don't box out on the three-point line. We just chest, like, you know, we put a forearm to your chest and go to the rim on the perimeter. But we got to put a we got to put a body on someone, in, you know, inside the, inside the three-point line. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if we don't, you know, and then I've, I've pulled five guys because, you know, one guy got four offensive rebounds in a row. I've, I've, I've pulled five guys, and, and we probably lost the game because I've pulled, you know, too many people for not – doing what they're supposed to um and guess what it's okay you know it's it's it it taught you know it taught me something hey maybe don't pull five guys at once or and taught it taught them something like hey maybe i need to rebound and i feel like everyone probably learned that day well i i think that just very perfectly ties back into the uh the here's the spot for you if you don't do this particular mm-hmm. thing there there's there's a location for you uh yeah i i i think the one of the common things i found in asking that question though is kind of your response about it being kind of a will thing it's kind of a heart mm-hmm. thing like yeah. you have to be willing it's it's like taking a charge almost in a way right like yes, you gotta put absolutely. yourself out there you gotta get physical and i i think sometimes and this is a little tangenty but but I'll, I'll ask you about it since it's on my mind now i think sometimes basketball players maybe forget or don't know like how physical the game can be at times or maybe they're not aware of just like how much physicality might be involved or what it takes to 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 be really successful and i i've, I've seen some issues from that from time to time and and maybe maybe there's just a bit of a learning curve involved with there i don't know maybe i'm well <laughs> i think um i don't hate aau basketball i'm, I'm gonna point that out i do not hate aau but it teaches bad habits. It teaches bad habits because you got four people leaking out and literally no one, did, no one person inbound the ball to nobody because they're all down the court already. Nope. And they're all trying to leak out and get layups. And so it's not like if you watch any AAU films and highlight films, there's nobody getting lay or rebounds. There's no one diving on the floor. So, and then when you get to school basketball in November, 
that that switch just doesn't flip like oh yeah i'm playing school basketball now now i need to box out now i need to get on the floor now i need to uh play my man straight up no it, it teaches bad habits i don't care what anyone says it teaches bad habits and and all these people all these kids playing aau thinking like oh yeah this is going to take me to division one level those guys don't need aau they're already division one guys you know they're just they're playing and they're playing division one guys every night you guys are playing backyard aau events that are just teaching these bad habits um so again i, I love that the kids are getting to play but i don't love the habits that can it can teach them um you know like with rebounding mm-hmm. or not or lack thereof essentially do you have uh on your team now i know you're at a small school do you have like kids who play a lot of like travel or aau that you kind of have to like they go away and then they come back and have to relearn i things do or... yes um, is, is that and, something and, you and, deal with and one of my kids um you know the original kid that i told you about in the beginning he um he, he was you know sixth grade he was like five foot five and then fast forward to today he's six five and you know it's the it's the owner's son and he's not fast enough to play defense for me so last year he didn't get to play that much so i was like hey buddy you need to play AAU this year because you pretty much missed half a year with me because you were too slow on defense or you're in foul trouble because you're a step too slow um mm-hmm. so i i got him to play AAU this year because i needed him to have more court time you know just more basketball um, but, you know, I don't have to worry about him. He's a monster uh, rebounder. He's my my guy I can guarantee will be down there fighting for a rebound. So it hasn't, you know, it hasn't brought him, uh, you know, bad habits. Yeah. And it's, it's actually only helped him because, you know, it's all offense. I needed him to score more. So, uh, but no, yeah, I do have guys that play travel ball. And it's like, hey, you know, that works on Saturdays, but not on, you know, Monday through Friday night. So let, let's fix it right now. <laughs> Yeah, that's entering a different environment when you come into to my gym sort of thing. Like, you better remember yeah. what, what it takes to be successful here. Yeah. Right. That's really well done. Awesome. Well, uh, at that time, kind of flew by, and we got some yeah. got some good nuggets that came out of there, Coach. But to wrap up, there's a couple questions that I like to ask every guest. I'm going to go ahead and start here with this first one. Uh, thinking back on your coaching career, what is a coaching moment that you think others listening would be able to learn from? Be able to learn from? Um gosh i feel like i'm, I'm thinking back of so many different things <laughs> there's, um, there's so many it's like every moment you can learn from right <laughs> yeah no I, I just i uh during during the state championship last year i sat two of my players that were just bickering back and forth and just arguing and we ended up losing and, and they're two my, my two best players and i feel like if if uh i would have played them we definitely would have won we lost on a buzzer reader by one and we were up by like i don't know 14 or 15 um but i did the right thing they could, you know, they they couldn't figure it out, and I'm the one that's got to live with it and go to sleep at night and and making my decisions, and and that's the biggest moment I can think of is just stick stick with your decision. It's if if that's the first thing that comes to your mind, it's probably the right thing. Um, that's probably the biggest thing I could think of. Yeah, for me, anyway. it's kind of like you know, you win but not really feel great about yourself or lose and be able to kind of go to sleep at night and knowing yeah. that you kind of believe in yourself, sort of oh, thing, I didn't, right? I didn't sleep well, but well, no, maybe exactly not right. right. Yeah. 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 But it's, it's, we just talked about at the beginning about like your identity of what you believe in as a coach. You talk about man to man and defense and, you know, you know, the things that you hold true. And in that situation, you know, that was something that you believed in. And so, you know, it's, it was a real good test to your character. And but yeah, this, that's something that you believed in, right? Yeah. Part of it, you know, part of buying in and is respecting your brother and, and treating him like a family member. Cause I, 
I, that's the kind of environment I want. And that's not the way they were acting right then. So we had to figure it out. And, mm-hmm. and we did. We sure figured it out. <laughs> yeah. That was an, well, it's natural consequences sometimes are some of the yep. best teachers, but, you know, for sure. Uh, and to wrap up, and it's funny because you, you actually did this really well with uh, what you just talked about of AAU, but I'm going to give you another another shot yeah. here. I give every guest that I call a 60-second soapbox. It's your platform to get out. Uh, final message, closing thoughts, some sort of closing idea that you want to leave uh, the listeners with. So, um, Coach, I'm going to go ahead and give you the floor, and if you go over 60 seconds, that's okay too. You can go ahead and take yeah, it away. Um, I guess I'd like just be be yourself um do as much research as you can about the game um you know not everybody runs the same two three not everyone runs the same man-to-man not everyone runs the same offense run what you think is going to be best for your kids um join message boards join facebook groups jump on a podcast and ask questions and and uh do your kids some justice and and try to do what's best for them if if you don't have you know, six foot ten guys, and you're running backdoor alley oop plays. It's probably not the best thing. Um, I, I I do a lot of women's offense because we have a lot of guards, and 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 they do a great job of running offense. So, you know, don't be afraid to uh, to to reach out and ask questions. And and I found that coaches are pretty pretty nice, essentially, or and willing to help out. Even coaches you play against, like you know, I have a friend that I call, and we, we play against each other twice a year, and sometimes in playoffs, like. Hey, I, I need help with this, or why can't I get my kid to do this? That kind of thing. Um, so, pretty much, just you know, coach what the way you feel, what you think is best for your team. That's probably all I got. Yeah, and uh, even the story that you mentioned about the moment you think others can learn from, I think, is a really good example of that. About you know, yeah. be, be who you are for sure. And I like the I like the idea about how you know, talking to uh, the coaches that even you go up against a couple times of the season. I think it's I think it's a lot healthier, if possible, to not just look at those other coaches as like your enemies or adversaries and actually people can help each other and learn from. Just think it makes the profession a little bit easier. <laughs> yeah, typically, I mean, if you win that game on Tuesday night, you're not getting a call from UNC to take Roy Williams' job. So you may <laughs> as well just go ahead and be a good person and, and be competitive. And, you know, 99% of the people you coach against probably are not going to be uh, you know, Division One coaches or be coaching the NBA Finals, so it's just easier to be a good person and 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 be a good friend, essentially. Well, you say that, Coach. I know you're in North Carolina. I know Shashevsky's <laughs> retiring at this year, and people might be thinking that high school game on a Tuesday might be getting that Duke job. <laughs> Listen, if you if you pump this podcast enough, I might my phone might ring. I don't know. Um, yeah, I might be talking the future Duke coach. No, that's funny. That's awesome. Oh, big UNC uh, guy, but I'll take the job if I had. To. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's funny. You'll you'll settle. Settle for Duke if I have to be there. That's right. <laughs> awesome. Coach Harden, I want to thank you for spending some time talking about your defense, a little help side, weak side defense, and uh, kind of about your coaching philosophy and your beliefs as a coach. Uh, it, was, it was a really good conversation. I look forward to you having hopefully a normal, uh, safe, healthy upcoming season and uh just, just wrecking teams in the half court with your defense. And uh, hopefully it's a successful season. Thanks a lot for joining us, Coach. Appreciate you. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. This was another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Make sure to connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, or reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Take care, be safe, and we'll see you next time.